0: I was hiking the mountains on the coast of Central California in Big Sur, which towers above the Pacific Ocean and above Route One, which snakes its way along the shore. If you have never been there, I highly recommend it. I spent five days or six days with my best college friends backpacking. And at the top of these hills, there were pasture lands and old oak trees on these very high tops. And you could look off far into the distance and see the sea below you. We spent days just exploring the area. It was among the most beautiful places I have ever seen. And when I got down to the car, smelly and exhausted, as you could imagine, I turned on my cell phone for the first time in a week, and I had a voicemail. It was my sister, Chandra. She was calling me to tell me that she was pregnant with her second child. She named her Rowan, and she was beautiful. She was fiendishly silly. She was constantly running around naked and loved to dance. Rowan was life, life lithe and true. Almost four years later, I was buried in the library of Duke Divinity School, working my way through a paper in the encouraging presence of old books. I got a text from my sister and from Chandra, and it said, Urgent, call me. So I I packed up my things and I made my way up the steps of Duke Chapel um, and out into the very bright sunlight right in front of this magnificent, old uh, cathedral-like structure. And I called her. And my sister Chandra told me that without any warning, Rowan had died in her sleep a week before her fourth birthday. No explanation ever came. No condition ever made sense of what had happened. Apparently, this is an extremely rare occurrence, which happens to one in four million children a year. Uh, she was, like I said, about to turn four years old. I stumbled. I stumbled my way into Duke Chapel, and it was full of these wide-eyed tourists, which are always there during the week. But there's a little, a little prayer chapel, uh, Duke Memorial Chapel, right next to the main altar. And I kept myself together just long enough to go through the wrought iron gates of this small chapel, which is reserved for people trying to pray. And then I lost it. I just, I just wailed and cried like any other time in my entire life. I don't actually know how long I was there, but it, I just didn't have words. I, I, I just had groans of lament, groans too deep for words. When I started to come to my senses, I realized that my wailing had been reverberating throughout the whole chapel, echoing through the pews of tourists in this Gothic cathedral-like building. And when I left, they looked like they had seen a ghost. This was not something normally happened on Duke's campus, I guess. In the days and weeks and years that followed Rowan's passing, I wrestled with two main questions. Why did she die? And what did it really mean to have hope? I decided that day that any hope not strong enough to meet me in the agony of Rowan's death was not a, work, a hope worth having at all. Now, we ventured with Paul up to one of the greatest mountain peaks of Scripture, not a rocky, sterile peak, but a fertile pasture land like the one that I was adding, California. From this good place we can see for miles, and, and Paul has led us here with an understanding of Romans 5-8, through 8, to understand that Jesus is the new Adam who invites us through baptism to join our lives to his resurrected life, and to be free from the slavery of sin and death. And from this high vantage point that Paul has led us to, Paul wants us to see The problem of sin in our world is deeper than we know, and the hope of new creation is greater than we can allow ourselves to embrace. The problem of sin is deeper than we know. Sin is woven like a contagious sickness throughout all of creation. Paul writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, From the top of this hill, Paul points out Genesis 3, far off in the distance. He wants us to go look and remember. And he asks us to see that the brokenness which has enslaved humanity also allowed for creation to remain imprisoned to corruption. Whereas the image of God, humanity, was called to be priests of creation, bringing God and the whole created world together in worship, humanity disobeys and worships ourselves and fails to bring God's order and goodness throughout the cosmos. Creation is now given over to the whispers of the serpent. It's not just the evil we commit, it's also the irrational evil that we and all of creation suffers as fallen creatures. Humanity. Humanity was supposed to exercise loving dominion over creation, to crush the serpent with our heel and to bring the whole world to fruitfulness. Humanity was supposed to reflect God into the world and instead reflected the serpent back into the world. Just as a side note, I Genesis account is an interesting one here because the fall of the serpent occurs logically prior to Adam and Eve's disobedience. Augustine argues that evil and its poisonous effects enters the world prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. And thus, Adam and Eve were meant to rescue creation being made in God's image in the world. Adam and Eve fail to act in keeping with who they were created to be, the Imago Dei. And the whole world suffers for it, not just us. I often think of creation's corruption like cosmic entropy, a downward pull toward the nothing out of which it was created. God creates and carefully orders creation, and humanity's rebellion magnifies sinful disorder in ourselves and all around us. In Romans 5, we saw the connection between sin and Adam and how it affects every one of us. But we also saw how Christ is the new Adam. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the problem is deeper than just our hearts the whole creation suffers. It aches and groans for redemption. Like a woman who is in labor, the pain is ever-present, and what it hopes for is not yet seen. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Paul tells us, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. But what does this practically mean? It means that the world as we have always known it is broken. And it's broken, not just some small way, some peripheral way, but on a fundamental way. When horrible tragedies occur, like the death of Rowan, or coronavirus, or my friend Archbishop Rajay getting bone cancer after 30 years of faithful service, or earthquakes, people strain for reason. Childbirth and pregnancy themselves are locations of pain and heartbreak in irrational ways, ways that make us think of the curse in Genesis 3. They want, they want to see, people who make sense of these things, want to see them as part of a larger scheme. And often we thus assign to God the blame or the credit for these events. But part of what makes these things so evil is the very lack of reason. In a creation rightly ordered to God, such disordered evil would never occur. Evil, in its purest sense, is bereft of all reason, a move toward the nothing out of which God created and ordered a rational world. And in our very bones, we feel what an offense these things are to God. And when God puts his Holy Spirit in us, we groan with the rest of creation. But even as the offense of sin has gone deeper than we know, so also is our hope so much greater than we often dare to embrace. Greater than we can dare to embrace. In some parts of Christianity, seeing the broken creation all around us makes the idea of just getting out of here appear really attractive. Saving souls seems much easier to embrace than saving, well, all of creation. It all looks so ruined. How could it possibly be redeemed? You do not see a baby when a woman is in labor. And if you were a completely ignorant person, the new life that she ushers in would be a wonderful surprise. So also, the new life being ushered in is not yet visible. We who are Christians long not just for the salvation of our souls, but for the redemption of the world, the whole world in created order around us. We see sin and evil in this time between Christ's coming and his coming again, and we ache for justice, but we do so deeply rooted in hope, hope that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead will likewise raise all these dead things around us to life. This passage in Romans 8 clearly directs us to that fuller hope. A hope logically rooted in the body of Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus. Paul asserts that the groans of creation are not just a pain, but birth pains. We look for a new Jerusalem, a city whose gates are never shut. We see those most fully in the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud cry from a voice of the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. But living into that, in a world where my niece doesn't wake up, is hard. Really, really hard. How does the Lord sustain us with hope, that hope, in the here and now? I think he does it in at least two ways. First, He gives us the Holy Spirit. And second, He is infinitely able to repurpose evil for good here and now. First, the Spirit Himself knows our weakness. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we are but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It is not news to God that we are weak and troubled. He did not leave us as orphans. He sent us his Holy Spirit, which binds us to Christ in baptism and fulfills our heart with the love that God is. You do not need to have the words, because the Word of God lives in you and can allow us to open our hearts to Him when we are unable to open our mouths. And that, that may sound abstract, but it is extremely practical. You don't have to have all the right words. You don't have to know all the pretty liturgical prayers, though they can be enormously helpful at times. You don't need to have it all figured out. You just have to show up and cry out to God, like I did in Duke Chapel. Some of my best times of prayer have been when I said, Lord, I am here, and I need you to show up. I won't let you go until you bless me. But also, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the first fruits of new creation palatable in our lives? It is by our willingness to hear the Spirit and know the Spirit that the activity of God in the world can become vivid and alive to us, which brings us to the second way that God sustains us in hope. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good when evil things happen, either through the basic brokenness of creation, pandemics and cancer or earthquakes, or by the malformed will of others, systemic racism, murder, greed, we should not see them as God's purposes in the world. However, as Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50:20, you meant this for evil, this being Joseph being sold into slavery, but God planned it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Friends, this is our children 's memory verse in the Joseph series we 're doing right now. God does not purpose evil in our lives, and He does not purpose evil in our world, but rather, he continues to faithfully repurpose evil for the good sufferings become opportunities for us to rely more deeply on god's presence earthquakes become occasions for people to bind together in the relief projects that follow an untimely death can invite us to ask where our hope our ultimate hope really lies and if you have been living a christian life for any time at all you will recognize that pattern evil is destructive But God is infinitely creative and redemptive. We killed the Son of God, and Satan rejoiced when he was crucified. But God took this greatest of any possible evil and offense and formed it into the engine of redemption for all of creation. In his wounds, we are healed. And so also here and now when we invite God into dark and terrible places of pain and injustice if God creates the world whole fashion them into mosaics of beauty and i suspect this is the greatest frustration of the devil the devil can't make anything he just breaks things twists things corrupts things but no matter what satan breaks god is infinitely able to create and redeem in this moment it is very difficult to see all of this to know it in our bones the way that we know the pain of loss as saint paul puts it in 1 corinthians 13 even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest, the greatest of these is love. And friends, when we come to places of deep pain, where we don't know what to turn to, we can always turn to the love that God is. And invite God Into those places of pain to repurpose them and make possible things that we thought were impossible before.